Greetings in our Lord Jesus Christ, and welcome to the audio ministry of Christ Church of Livingston County. The following are three excerpts from a Covenant Renewal worship service led by Pastor Dirk DeWinkle, teaching elder at Christ Church. We trust you will be edified and ministered to by the Holy Spirit through this audio recording. Our call to confession today comes from Proverbs chapter 20, verse 5. The purpose in a man's heart is like deep water, but a man of understanding will draw it out. What is deep in the heart and mind of a man or a person is very deep water. What's held there is often difficult to discern and understand. And much like the inner thoughts, desires, and plans of a person, so are the movements in the depths of the ocean that go generally unnoticed. In the ocean, the depths are driven by the sinking and rising of the waters because of the different densities caused by the differences in temperature and the differences in salt concentration. Rather than something that is readily seen at the surface, something like a freight liner making its way across the ocean, or a submarine on a mission, or even the wind, these things are unseen. Wicked men seek to hide their intentions, and even good men who may possess a great deal of wisdom and knowledge may not communicate very well, they may be slow of speech or silent in their conversation. But a man of understanding will seek to draw it out. He will find ways and means to discover the secret designs of the wicked man, and by asking proper questions, an understanding man will get out useful things from the men of knowledge. The knowledge of a wise person is deep, it is not just a superficial view of things. Their wisdom is plentiful, and it can help in many different dilemmas. And only the understanding man can draw it out, for a wise man is not usually persuaded to speak. But as a point of common courtesy, I might point out that if by the nature, by your nature, you are pers- by your personality, you are not articulate at particularly expressing yourself and exposing the thoughts of your heart and your mind, don't make it painful for those of you that love you and are nearest to you to force them to drag it out of you. A wise man's words are a wellspring that produces a flowing brook. And as a brook supplies water to prosper the lower lands, so a wise man speaks to prosper those around him. His mouth is a well of of life. His instruction is a fountain of life. He feeds many. He is health and a tree of life to others. This reminds us of our needs to confess our sins. I invite you to kneel where you are if you're willing. Solomon is telling us how to live under the sun, in the midst of vanity and evil, under a sovereign God. In short, he is telling us what wisdom looks like, which is why wisdom is the title of this sub-series in our study of Ecclesiastes. In chapter 12, verse 11, Solomon will tell us this, the words of the wise are like goads. And the words of scholars are like well-driven nails, given by one shepherd. One thing everybody who reads wisdom literature from the scriptures notices is that the format of these nails and goads are in Proverbs and riddles. 
In the section of in this section of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is pounding away at our ignorance and foolishness. He is pinning us down to the truth. Our text this morning is a string of proverbs, and that at times appear to be randomly stuck together. But in reality, they are united together. First, and that they are all pointing to the truth. And ultimately, they are all pointing back to their ultimate author, the one shepherd from which all truth proceeds. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. But second, they were given by Kohelet, the wisest man who ever lived. And they were given in a particular order. Two weeks ago, he started hammering away at us by telling us to work hard, despite the seeming happenstance of existence, and the fact that sometimes wisdom isn't permitted to overcome folly. Last week, we saw the vulnerability of wisdom and the diligence required to maintain it. We also saw that wisdom is diligent, patient, and meek, despite injustice in high places. And we also saw that work is dangerous, but wisdom brings success. These things are all connected, but the nails of wisdom are proverbs. They are riddles and enigmas. The wisdom available in them is only available in the work that it takes to figure them out. Making the connections between them is hard work in itself. But we must try. Today, Solomon will start out with a few nails regarding wisdom and words. Last week, he said that work is dangerous. Here, he says that so are words. A serpent may bite when it is not charmed. The babbler is no different. This verse is a challenging verse to translate. The first half is fairly straightforward, but the second is more obscure. Literally, the Hebrew reads, And there is no advantage to the master of the tongue. A serpent may bite when it is not charmed, and there is no advantage to the master of the tongue. The, the master of tongue is no better. The Septuagint and several English translations render it this way. If the serpent bites when it is not charmed, or before it is charmed, then there's no advantage to the charmer, which is fairly obvious. He gets bitten, then he doesn't get the income he makes by charming the snake. This would seem to connect it with the former verses about dangers inherent in work. However, the King James and the New King James translation is better. The babbler is no different, or is no better because it connects the verse with the following verses regarding words and speaking. Personally, I prefer the literal Hebrew. Like a snake charmer who can get bit by his serpent, there is no advantage to the master of the tongue, or the lord of the tongue. The tongue is wickedly dangerous. It's like a serpent. Here the proverb is telling us that if you are going to play with your tongue, you better be on your guard. Don't let the snake out of the box until it is tame. Think before you speak. 
A wise man recognizes that like wood to the woodcutter and stone to the quarry worker, when you start talking, you must recognize the danger of words. You can get yourself in a whole pile of trouble by saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. Verse 12. The words of a wise man's mouth are gracious, but the lips of a fool shall swallow him up. The instruction here is clear. Wise words are gracious. They bring life to wise man and to those around him, to, the, to others. Wise words are gracious. Foolish words, on the other hand, destroy the life of the fool and they hurt others. Proverbs 18 verse 21 puts it like this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. It's that stark. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. You're going to play with your tongue. If you're going to give life, you'll be blessed by that. But if you're going to be a fool with your tongue, you will eat death. Next, the preacher goes on to describe what a fool's lips swallowing him up looks like. Verse 13. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness, and the end of his talk is raving madness. We know from the Proverbs that a fool says in his heart, there is no God. We also know from the Gospels that out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the fool says in his heart, there is no God. And then he goes and he starts speaking like, there is no God. The fool starts with an errant assumption. The words of his mouth begin with foolishness. He is wrong in his thinking. Thus, when he begins to speak, he begins with foolishness. Out of his pride... He starts on the wrong road. And the longer he talks, the more he convinces himself of his own thinking. So instead of reining himself in and changing directions, he puts his foot to the floorboard and hurdles himself forward. And thus he makes bigger and more grave mistakes as he goes until his conclusion is raving madness. He's flying headlong over a cliff, about to be dashed on the spiky crags below. He can't stop himself. Next, Solomon continues the description of the fool and his words. Verse 14. A fool also multiplies words. No man knows what is to be. Who can tell him what will be after him? The first part of this verse is fairly clear. A fool likes to talk for the sake of talking. It doesn't matter to him what he's saying, really. It's just that he's the one who's saying it. He just likes to hear the sound of his own voice. He multiplies words. He talks and he talks and he talks. Proverbs 10, verse 19 says, In the multitude of words, sin is not lacking. But he who restrains his lips is wise. The fool is not the one who restrains his lips. The second part of this verse is a little more troubling. What does fortune-telling have to do with foolish speaking? No man knows what is to be. Who can tell him what will, what will be after him? 
Again, this is pointing to the fool's pride. Instead of looking to God in faith and waiting on Him with patience, the fool brags about his own prowess. And he boasts of his future accomplishments. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about how great he is. Look at what I'm going to do. Look at, what, look at how good I am. And in part, this is because he is a fool. Because he is a fool, he cannot point to the past or the present to prove his worth. He's a fool. He doesn't have anything to point to that shows his own wisdom or his, his inherent worth. He must build himself up on the basis of his potential. And who knows what is to be? Right? Nobody knows what is to be. And because nobody knows what is to be, the fool thinks that he can get away with fooling you about how great he is because of how great he will be. The only problem is that a wise man can see him coming from a mile away. Remember verse 3 from last week. Even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom. And he shows everyone that he is a fool. Let alone if he opens his mouth and proves it. It's another proverb that says, Better to be keep your mouth shut and be thought a fool than to open your mouth and prove it. The fool loves to hear himself talk. Even when a fool walks along the way, he lacks wisdom, and he shows everyone that he is a fool. The wise man knows that nobody knows the future. He knows that the future is uncertain, unless he's content to wait and see what God will do. In the meantime, he doesn't need to boast. He doesn't need to brag about what he's going to do tomorrow. James tell us, tells us in James that he says, don't say, tomorrow I'm going to do this, I'm going to go to that city, and I'm going to do that. Say, if the Lord wills. Now, of course, goody-two-shoes Christians can twist that and say everything with, oh, the Lord willing. And, and it's not, the point is, is, is in your heart you have to acknowledge that God is in control of the future. And that you will do what you plan to do if the Lord will bless that. So the fool doesn't know the future, but he claims that he does. And the wise man knows that nobody knows the future, so he waits and he sees what God's going to. He knows that he is nothing before God. The wise man understands that he is nothing before God, and he is content to keep himself busy with the work God gives him to do. Instead of wasting his time bragging and talking, he's too busy to talk. He's got work to do. God gives each of us tasks in this life. Keep yourself occupied with the work God gives you to do. The fool, on the other hand, does not keep himself busy with the work God gives him to do. Verse 15. The labor of fools wearies them, for they do not even know how to go to the city. The translation of this verse is very easy. It's quite accurate. The labor of fools wearies them, for they do not even know how to go to the city. But the problem is, what does it mean? The interpretation is challenging, it's difficult. It's probably a Hebrew commonplace, something similar to uh, that guy could get lost on an escalator. A fool's labor is exhausting because 
they are busy chasing their tails. When it comes to words, they're either busy explaining and making excuses for why their latest schemes haven't worked out, and the next one will, or they've dug themselves into a verbal pit, and they don't know how to dig themselves out, so they just keep digging. What did Solomon say a couple of verses ago? The end of his talk is raving madness. You know, at some point, the guy's got to stand up and say, wait a second, I'm at the bottom of this pit, and the top's way up there. Shouldn't I stop digging and start, you know, filling it back in so I can get out of here? It just never crosses his mind. It just keeps digging, raving madness. When it comes to actual labor, a, a, a fool's labor wearies him because they do not work with skill or by faith. The, wool, the fool works for his own ends and for his own glory. The problem is that he is nothing and the stuff he accumulates by his work is nothing. It's all vanity. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity, says the preacher. The essence of this verse, though, is that it is very connected to what has just come before and what is about to come after. The fool's focus is on a very specific thing. It's on himself. The reason he is a fool is because he has made himself master of his fortune and life. And instead of turning to truth and looking outside of himself, instead of turning to God and looking for light and wisdom and the map, the roadmap for life, he is blinded by his own foolishness, and thus he labors for vapor and satisfaction deludes him. As soon as he piles up enough stuff, he thinks, then I'll be satisfied. But whenever he gets there, it's, there's always more to get. Or he's got to keep from losing the stuff that he's already accomplished. He's not living by faith. And he doesn't even know how to go to the city. <laughs> On a superficial level, this means that the fool's talk is infantile. They don't know the very basic stuff about how life works. Yet they're compelled to go on and on and on and on and speak and keep talking and talking and telling you everything about everything. When a fool gets talking, all you need to do is listen long enough till he gets to a subject that you might know something about. And then you can judge just how worthy all the rest of the stuff he's saying is. On a deeper level, below just speaking, he can't na navigate the ultimate truths of life. He doesn't know how to go to the city. The ultimate truths of life and death. That fool is on a path to shale. He is going to the grave. He will die. And he thinks that he's safe. He doesn't have the prudence to open his eyes and wonder, just where the heck am I going anyway? What is going to happen to me when I die? He doesn't stop long enough to think about that. But he's a fool because it's obvious. It's everywhere. Everybody dies. It is going to happen, and the fool doesn't know the way to the heavenly city. 
This brings us to Solomon's exhortations about wisdom and leadership, verses 16 and 17. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child, and your princes feast in the morning. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles, and your princes feast at the proper time for strength and not for drunkenness. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a fool, when he's a child, when he's just thinking about immediate gratification. Woe to you, O land. These verses draw attention to the covenantal nature of existence under the sun. The land suffers when its leaders are wicked. And yet the land is blessed when the leaders are righteous. It is important that we care about who our leaders are. And that we pay attention to those who govern over us. Because we are either cursed or blessed by their foolishness or wisdom. Woe to you, O land, when your king is a child and your prince is feast in the morning. That is to say, you are cursed when your leaders are fools who don't have maturity or wisdom in their actions. This is not saying when your king is a young man, or just a boy even. There are examples of good and young kings. David, Josiah, and Joash were all young and good in their time. But they were not children. They were not fools. God gave them wisdom. Blessed are you, O land, when your king is the son of nobles and your prince's feast at the proper time. These verses have double-edged application. First, since we live in a democratic republic, it would serve us well to elect wise men to rule over us. We actually play a part in who our kings are, or who our president or our, our congressmen are. It's wise to be active in serving your country because we are covenantally tied to it. We are Americans. It's wise to pay attention to what's going on in our country because if our leaders are fools, we suffer. The wise man doesn't just write off what happens in government. Because the world is covenantal, it matters whether or not we are ruled by wise men or fools. Because we will suffer or celebrate with them. Second, it is an exhortation to be wise in our own doings. Mature in our decision making. And shrewd in our feasting. In Christ, we have all been made kings. We are all sons and daughters of nobility. We are the children of God. And thus we should act accordingly. We should behave like a king who is the son of nobility. We should feast at the proper time because we know God is in control. And this is kind of in contrast or an opposite to what the previous exhortation was. We should care about what happens in our government. 
But we're Christians, and Jesus' kingdom is not of this world. So while we should be active and care, and we should do everything we can and within our power, legally, etc., to serve the king in America, to serve the president, to serve our, our country, we also recognize the wisdom of Ecclesiastes that it's all vanity. And so even when we suffer, we can suffer and know that it's not in vain. We can know that when we suffer in this world, it's only a passing and temporary thing. In Christ, we have been made kings, and we should act like it. When we assume our Christian duty to establish Christ's kingdom here on the earth in our lives, we are being the salt and light that we are commanded to be and called to be by Jesus Christ. If you lose your savor, what good is it? If you hide your light under a bushel, what good is it? Be noble in your life. Live wisely. And when we live like we are called to live, we will become kings and princes in our land. We will be a blessing to our land and our people. Light goes out. Salt savors. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these will be added to you. Last week we read about kings and, and princes walking on the ground while servants ride on horses. That happens. And when that happens, keep being a prince. If you're suffering in this world because of injustice above you, suffer. That is wisdom. But do it with a good heart and a good clear conscience. The next verses are related to these as they define what good leadership does. Wisdom and industry, verse 18. Because of laziness, the building decays, and through idleness of hands, the house leaks. This is another straightforward proverb. In fact, this one's not even difficult to translate or to, to communicate. It's just straightforward. It's, duh, Sherlock. When you're lazy, your building decays. If you're idle, if your hands, your house leaks. That's what happens. Yet it is pointing to the negative to highlight the necessary. The examples here are very negative. Because of laziness, the building decays. Through idleness of hands, the house leaks. A decayed and leaking house is no good. It doesn't provide shelter. Therefore, don't be lazy or idle. Again, there are many applications for this verse. The building may be the nation, especially in context here where it's talking about leadership. But it's just as true about a building, or your house, or your barn. The building is a building, and it's true for whether it's a big building or a small building. Diligence is necessary. That's the gist of the teaching here. Diligence and industry bring stability and peace. Whether it's on a grand national scale or a small personal one. Next we have verse 19. A feast is made for laughter and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. At first this verse seems a little out of place or random, but let's consider it a bit. Feasting and drunkenness have just been 
been mentioned in verses 16 and 17. And this verse is still defining good leadership. So woe to your land when your princes feast in the morning, or if they feast for drunkenness. So a feast is made for laughter, and wine makes merry, but money answers everything. Money is one of the fruits of diligence and industry, to which we've just been exhorted toward in verse 18. So what is Solomon telling us here? First, feasting and wine have their uses, but they are limited. A feast is made for laughter, and wine makes merry. Second, the wise man or leader fully understands and appreciates the fact that money talks. Money answers everything. Money can buy food for eating or in feasting. Money can buy wine for merrymaking. Money has a way of making life easier and protecting those who have it. Solomon says here that money answers everything. Now, of course, this is a little bit of hyper hyperbole. For instance, you cannot buy your way out of death or into heaven. And you cannot buy happiness. Joy and enjoyment are gifts from God. And so is eternal life. Never forget that. But even when you never forget that, the wise man understands these things and he understands money. Money is a servant. It's not a master. Money is powerful. It's effective. It does speak. And wise rulers will understand how to use money for the best interest of their land. So instead of buying a feast to party it up in the morning and not be prepared for a later problem, they preserve their money and they use it to provide a feast when they need food to be strong, to be industrious, and to work hard. Next, we're given an exhortation about wisdom and discretion. Verse 20. Do not curse the king, even in your thought. Do not curse the rich, even in your bedroom, for a bird of the air may carry your voice, and a bird in flight may tell the matter. This is an extremely important aspect of wisdom under the sun. Fools blather. And they spout off all kinds of nonsense. They don't guard their hearts, their thoughts, or their mouths. But wise men do. But in this particular instance, it is wise to be extra prudent. This is where we get the colloquialisms like, the walls have ears, or a little birdie told me. The reality is that gossip has wings. It flies to create trouble. The reason that a bird is chosen is because birds just flip, they're there. They, they can get there so much faster than walking. Fly through the air. Gossip has wings. You're going to curse the king, he will hear about it. You're going to curse the rich, even in your bedroom, he will hear about it. And the antidote to the problem is wisdom. 
Do not curse the king. Just don't do it. That's wisdom. Even in your thought. Don't even think it. Remember, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. If you don't want to say it, stop yourself before you think it. Stop yourself before you think it. We are not even to think a curse against the king because we are betrayed by our thoughts. These things don't stay secret. What comes in, what's in our hearts comes out of our mouths eventually. The Bible commands us not to speak evil of the king in several places. First, right here. Do not curse the king. Second, Proverbs 24, 21. My son, fear the Lord and the king. Do not associate with those given to change. Jeremiah 29, verse 7. This is, when, this is an exhortation to the Israelites when they're being taken into exile into Babylon. This is what Jeremiah says. And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive and pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. Exodus 22, verse 28. You shall not revile God nor curse a ruler of your people. And then in the New Testament, Paul quotes that. Then Paul said, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest. For it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. In 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 to 4, Paul exhorts Timothy, Therefore I exhort, first of all, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, and that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. And in 1 Peter 2, verses 13 to 17, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme, or to governors, or to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for advice, but as bond servants of God. Honor all people. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the king. Wisdom. The path toward blessing from God is not found in reviling our lawful authorities. Jesus submitted to the Sanhedrin who were pushing for his death, and to Pilate. The burden of office is a heavy one, and our duty is to honor the king. We should make our leaders work pleasant, because there is no law against the fruits of the Spirit. Like Peter said elsewhere, if you suffer for wrongdoing, reviling the king or the rich, what good is that to you? But if you suffer for doing good, that is commendable before God. The ultimate cause of this is God's grace in salvation. He has written his law on our hearts, and the fulfillment of the law is love. 
Don't curse the king. Love him. Even if he is your enemy, in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. But it was exactly in this way, God's love for his enemies, that we have, each and every one of us, come to be his friends, even brothers in Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. For listening to these excerpts from the worship service of Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in these messages, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact Pastor Dirk DeWinkle through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C H R I S T K I R K M I.com. Again, Thank you and blessings.